from Ennui. This is Ennui Talk. You can support the show and other Ennui projects by subscribing to Ennui Plus on Patreon. But for now, sit down and enjoy. Welcome back to Ennui Talk. I'm your host, as you all know, Matthew Winter, and I am joined by Slush. Um, Slush, how would you describe your own content? I think that that's probably the better question to ask. I would say I make video essays and documentaries that relate to gaming, internet culture, Twitch, and esports are ha- somewhat of a heavy focus, especially in my earlier content. But generally, gaming and internet culture are typically what I talk about. Now, what led to sort of, you know, we're getting right into it, but it was like esports is very, very interesting to me. Like, I'm very, very much on the outside. I'm very much like YouTube heavy, internet culture heavy. I've never really gotten into the esports sort of um, genre of, even just like the genre, like watching the genre of video either. What made you want to start just um, doing esports content? Were you an esports fan from the beginning? So before I started doing YouTube for about three and a half years, I was like super hardcore uh, Smash Bros. Melee player. Uh, you know, mm. like the kind of player that just like grinded every day like a total degenerate and went to tournaments multiple times a week and all that kind of stuff so i was like really into it and uh in 2017 as i was making my way out of competing uh i had been wanting to do youtube for a while and i kind of just thought well no one's doing like player profiles on melee players and i really like the smash documentary so why don't i just do something like that Esports, and that's pretty much how uh, my first video came to be. Interesting. So, like, I don't. Can you? The history of esports, like, I don't. Is it's it's very very. I don't know. It's very very foreign to me. Um, is it okay? Like, just from a base level, let's go from the base level. Is it easy to become a professional esports player? Even just like the base, like, like, okay, let's just say amateur first. Like, is it easy to get into being an esports player? That's you know, going to tournaments and playing around, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, I mean, I obviously think it would be dependent on the game. Most games are online, so I would assume that the accessibility or the barrier to entry is not that high. And in the case of Smash, which was the eSport that I played, so that one has, like, slightly higher barrier to entry because it's it was a GameCube game, which meant that you'd have to have, like, a GameCube controller or a GameCube to play it on. And it's not an online game, at least it wasn't at the time. So you had to go in person. And even with all those hurdles, if you want to call them that, uh, I thought it was really easy to, like... For me, it was as simple as I made a friend who was getting into it, and he just brought me along to a tournament, and then everyone there was just really nice... And I ended up becoming friends with them, and it just kind of progressed from there. I just kept going to more tournaments. If, like, cause I know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Keemstar, I'm pretty sure that he mentioned at one point that he has at least, I don't know if he started or if he just invested in a, an esports team of some sort. Is it, because Gary Vaynerchuk, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, he has discussed that, you know, 10 years from now, esports is going to be, and it slowly, slowly is, um, one of the most popular sports of all, like, you know, in terms of, um, you know, its fan base, definitely making a fuckload of revenue. It's, it's huge. Like, you know, they're playing in stadiums now. It's, it's crazy. Um, what, do you think it's, it'd be, it's going to be as accessible to, like, let's say five years from now start your own esports brand. So like, you know, come in, um, make a team, et cetera, et cetera, start from the bottom, grow. Like, is it is it as easy as comparing it to the YouTube journey? Like, you know, just starting out, slowly growing up. Um, I guess with um, esports, like there's, a, there's, there's things you can actually do to grow, you know, get better, play tournaments, um, win tournaments. And then there's, you know, the hierarchy there. With YouTube, it's a much different thing. It's like much, much more luck. But do you think it's like, especially like in five years from now, when it's going to be probably oversaturated, like very much so, like everybody's going to want to get into the game, um, probably more so than they are now, like a much, much more mainstream thing. Do you think that, you know, anybody can just, could just come in, not just anybody, but like somebody, 
if you wanted to make an esports brand, like that's that's one thing that's been in the back of my head. Like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a businessman. Five, ten years from now, I want to, you know, create a brand, create a team, et cetera, et cetera. Is it doable? Like, is it, or do you think it's going to be an oversaturated market? If you're talking about starting a team and growing that, I think that <clears throat> that's always going to be something like anyone can technically do that. But your team is only going to be as relevant as the players on it. And so it's going to come down to capital. I think like if you can get people to want to be on your team, most likely by providing them something, some sort of incentive, then yeah, you'll be able to grow. And obviously there's a lot of marketing involved. If you play your cards right, you can make an impression in the industry. If you're talking about becoming a player and growing and becoming known from there, then I would say most of the time it's it's uh, your skills that speak the most, the loudest, because you, you'll you see time and time again players who start like very recently and just like, explode because they work so hard to get good enough that they just rise to the top. And then from there they have a brand and they become streamers and all that stuff. See, I've, I think, and I think it was, I found them like all the way back from just following JHB team on, um, on Twitter. And then he became an intern, the social media intern for a hundred thieves. I'm like, Oh, what's this brand? And, um, hundred, hundred thieves has grown from this. Like, cause they, in the beginning, they were just this small lifestyle brand started by Nateshot, who was a former, was he a COD player? I think off the top of my head, I can't actually remember. Yeah. And he's built this like, you know, in the beginning, of course, it's going to start as just like this small little lifestyle brand based around gaming. Obviously he had teams there. Um, but now it's grown into this huge fucking organization and it's crazy. Drake's investing, Scooter Braun's investing. Um, just, it's just crazy. And it's, it's crazy to see that, you know, just these guys playing like, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't even even fathom that you could just play video. Like, I guess like you could, you can see it in any, in any industry, but like playing games and being this successful in business, building a brand that's this big, a hundred thieves could do any, like can make any sort of content now, you know, um, gaming based or not. And, you know, and it's not, and it's not just the players either. I really like the idea that a hundred thieves have both, you know, they're, they're gaming vertical. Like, you know, they have their teams competing in, um, call of duty, CSGO, I think they're still doing League. Um, and then just they have a bunch of content creators living in the house and making content. And it's so they have all these revenue streams coming now and they're becoming like more relevant than ever. It's like that. It's, it's, I love that business strategy. Like it seems like it's the, the, the sky's a limit. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that. So like with the case of 100 Thieves and probably most esports teams, this is. The way that they succeeded is honestly the way any business succeeds, which is you pick a niche and you dom you try and dominate the niche and then you grow, expand from there once you're big enough. And in the case of 100 Thieves, uh, I think it's really that in the beginning, in the very early days, they had uh, top players and content creators, even if it wasn't that many, they just had like people who were at the forefront of content creation within that niche of Call of Duty gameplay and people who were good at the game. And that was all they needed to, to grow into a bigger thing within the Call of Duty community and then a bigger thing within the esports community and then a bigger thing within the internet in general. And look at them now. They've, they're fucking massive. Like, it's just crazy to see that they've got partnerships with Cash App and Totino's and Elgato and JBL and fucking Chipotle. Like, it's, and it's, the company's only, it's only just about to turn three. It's only just about turned three years old and a hundred thieves has, it's taken over. Like, absolutely. Like that's what's, would that, would you say that they're, they're probably the biggest um, gaming organization in America, at least sort of like from, it, it seems like that maybe I'm, you know, as I said, I'm not really that in the esports gaming community. Are hundred thieves, the biggest gaming brand out there, at least in, um, in the U S I'm not, I, I have no idea, to be honest. I'm not really sure. I would say that certainly FaZe is uh, a rival of theirs oh, in yeah, that sense. Really. Also a company or an organization that started with Call of Duty. 
So like those are both really big. I wouldn't. It's hard to say what the biggest is because there's quite a few really big ones. Um, Lars in the chat just mentioned Team Liquid, who've been going around for about twenty years now. They're very very much. Um, seems like they they started with um, Starcraft too, actually. And, you know, and they've got many 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 divisions. You know, Fortnite, Dota, Rocket League, PUBG. Pretty much all the games that people are playing competitively. And it seems like Hundred Thieves, like right now, focusing on. The top, you know, three, four, five games. Um, but you got to start small. I think, you know, if you're just going to... There's no point of getting into all the different divisions in all the different games straight away. Unless, you know... unless you Obviously, unless you have the people there um, on on your teams. Like, I think like that's the thing. It's like, you know, you don't, don't want to just, you know, hire a roster if they're not going to be competitive. You know what I mean? You don't want to just... Oh, 100 Thieves are starting a... Um, Super Smash Bros. team, and then they fucking suck. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to have. It's very, very much like sports. It's like you know, from the outside, it can just look look like guys playing video games. But these are elite level game players. You have to have a good team. Like you know, you're, just, you're not going to just hire anybody. You're not going to just start a team for the sake of starting a team. Yeah, I think that you pretty much hit the ha- nail on the head. Ha- I'm not saying it right. I slept for like three hours. You know what I mean, though. Uh, you're, you put it correctly when you're saying that it's like sports. It's because it really is exactly the same sort of infrastructure in a lot of ways. And if you are, like, if you're going to, if 100 Thieves is going to sign Smash players, they're going to go for the top players. And it's also, uh, of the top Smash players, there's so many of them who are actually really good and could potentially, you know, make top three at a tournament or whatever. But not all of them are sponsored, and all of them who aren't sponsored want to be sponsored. So they're going to do what they can to look good in the eyes of 100 Thieves, you know? So the, the demand is there for, the, pl- for the, the players who want to be part of these teams already. I just wanted to move, I wanted to move into the, the Twitch discussion. Twitch is a very interesting platform for me. Everything's fucking interesting to me. Of course it is. Um, but I've, I, Twitch is a platform that I've always sort of like wanted to get into like in the podcasting space, in the live streaming space, but it's very, when I sort of started to make content, it was very much, you know, the gaming space right now. You know, over the years, there was the IRL streaming, et cetera, et cetera. You did a video a few months ago, how Twitch killed IRL streaming. And that was what I've, I rewatched it the other day. Fantastic video, by the way. Um, can you can you give me a, um, I don't know, a, a, a shortened version of what the, how we went from, you know, gaming content exclusively on Twitch to sort of that IRL stuff and how it sort of transitioned from there. Yeah, so in the beginning, actually, Twitch was not just gaming. It was Justin TV, right? And Justin TV was everything. Like, it was a live streaming platform for everything. And Twitch was just the gaming section of Justin TV. But that section performed the best. And so they decided to just scrap the entirety of Justin TV and rebrand as Twitch and make it only gaming. And when it started, they even had a rule imposed on their streamers where uh, I think it was like 75% of their stream needed to be gameplay or else they would be penalized in some way. And from there, it's the same thing with like I was saying before about businesses or these esports teams. It started with that niche and it really started to like dominate the live streaming gaming niche. It beat out any competition it had in that department because there used to be other platforms, I remember, back in the day. And um, once it really solidified their stranglehold over that market, then they started to expand outwards a little bit more. And a lot of that started with you had a lot of uh, <laughs> you had a lot of women who were coming from like cam girl websites who started streaming on Twitch and they would just put like tiny little boxes of gameplay and then like just, you know, really get up in the camera and then uh, a lot of people were upset about that. And that was one of the things that was sort of edging Twitch to like move away from uh, gaming. But what really did it was when Pokemon Go came out, people were going on the streets to... They, in order to play the game, you had to be out in the streets, which sort of birthed the IRL section. And then Twitch eventually responded by making it okay to just stream whatever you want as opposed to... Well, not whatever you want, but non-gameplay streams which allowed IRL to be a thing and also allowed the just chatting section, the early roots of that to be a thing, because that's kind of all the girls who were there uh, 
who were coming from the cam girl websites they just dropped the gameplay and would just hang out at their house and just stream from there talking to the audience so what what you did um did they introduce the IRL streaming category itself uh i believe it was the end of 2016 it might so be the beginning of 2017 but i think it was the end of 2016 so there was quite a long time where it was you know, people making non-gaming content on the platform. Like, like you know, if they're the, if they're the best um, live streaming platform, I don't understand why, like, I guess in the beginning, maybe, like, you know, you want to be specifically a, a gaming live streaming platform, but why would you sort of limit people who could come on? Like, that as a business strategy, like, at least later on, when it's like you've grown so big that you can expand your niche... I don't know why you'd limit yourself as a company. I feel I feel like that's very silly of Twitch to do, especially around then. Obviously, they've changed very much so now, but it seemed like they were very hesitant to change things up. I actually disagree. I think that it was kind of ingenious of them to limit themselves like that because it facilitated the growth. It kind of reminds me of, uh, if you've ever seen The Social Network, mm, where the movie about Facebook, there's that scene where... Uh, I forget the names of the characters, but the guy that Justin Timberlake plays says to Mark Zuckerberg, like, no ads, you have to keep it, like, people need to think you're cool, or whatever, and I kind of feel like it's that same sort of mentality, where it's like, only gameplay, you have to, like, uh, people who are gamers have to, like, think that this is, like, for them, and I think that that's, that's, like, uh, that mentality of the gaming community feeling like really at home with Twitch is like what truly facilitated their growth into the, the giant monolith that they are now. That's very interesting. Actually, I didn't even think about it like that, but it's right. It's like, you know, they get, cause the, it's not like the gaming community is small. It is huge. It's absolutely huge. It's, you know, probably, you know, one in three people in the entire world, maybe not the entire world, but you know, like probably in, especially in Western countries, um, play video games. Absolutely. There's be a large majority of people. There's a, there's an industry there. There's a fan base there. And that exclusivity, that exclusivity of, oh, only gamers can be on here. It's actually, when now that I think about it, very, very much so. That is a smart business strategy. I think, you know, if they just opened up to everything in the beginning, because you, you've either got to be the, that's the thing. If you're going to be, to grow a business, I guess really, like in the beginning, you either need to be the best or you need to be different. And, you know, if I, you know, they were the best in gaming live streaming. Like, I guess there's probably no other live streaming platforms at the time. I don't think YouTube did any live streaming at the time, 2000. And, oh, they probably did. I wonder when the, the um, when YouTube allowed live streaming. I actually don't know. If Even uh, to this day, though, Twitch is by far the best place if you want to be a streamer. Uh, there's really no... I, I'm not, not that I'm aware there's no, like, solid alternative because YouTube has, like, completely failed to catch up with Twitch in a lot of ways. Uh, I actually just had a episode of the Gush podcast last week with Ice Poseidon where he was talking about how, because he's uh, he's got banned from Twitch and he's been streaming on YouTube and he talks, he was complaining about how the way YouTube is set up is to get viewers and not build a community and the way Twitch is set up is to build a community as opposed to get viewers and that uh, he greatly preferred his experience on Twitch because the chat was more active, he had regulars that he recognized, and he had things that he could do to help facilitate the growth, and none of those options are there on YouTube. And he sees that the people who, the audience on YouTube is just a completely different kind of audience. They're not really engaging, they're kind of just clicking a recommended link and watching, and if it's not entertaining them, they leave, that kind of thing. There's no sort of, uh, allegiance or uh i don't know they don't feel like any sort of camaraderie with the person they're watching or anything like that i can see that i can very very much see that because like you know you can't but that's how and that's how youtube's built i guess you can't how do you i don't know like i wonder what 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 do you think in your opinion what do you think that youtube's live streaming platform could do to like you know not only just improved but to bring bring people to stream on YouTube, not just exclusively. I think it's very, it would be very smart to stream on both. Um, but what do you think would bring 
you know, some of the bigger, some of the bigger Twitch streamers, what do you think would be that thing that would bring people over to YouTube exclusively? Like, is Twitch missing anything? Are both platforms missing something that YouTube could, that YouTube could integrate and bring in that would make a difference for streamers? I think what Twitch is missing, and it's not necessarily that they're missing, but what YouTube has over Twitch is, and this just makes sense, is the video player is better. Uh, the video player on Twitch is not good in general, and uh, I think that it's like a, a very nice feature that YouTube has that you're able to rewind a live stream at any time and stuff like that. But what YouTube is missing is basically like all the things that you... Like, a, for example, if you're a subscriber to someone on Twitch, that Twitch streamer can put their chat in sub-only mode. And that may like it's sort of like an exclusivity thing, but that sort that doesn't exist on YouTube. If you subscribe to someone on Twitch, you get access to all their emotes, and you can use them in other people's communities in their chats or whatever. And you can't do anything like that on YouTube. You can't even, as far as I'm aware, you can't even use like if I was if I think you can make emotes on YouTube, but if someone joined my because on YouTube it's called like a membership or something, mm. someone became a member of my channel, they wouldn't even be able to use those emotes in my comment section on my videos. So there's like no incentive at all to become a part of my community. And there's just like little features like that all over the place that Twitch has implemented that YouTube is just completely doesn't do. So it's very interesting to see that. I didn't think that anybody would really go, oh, I'm going to use the YouTube um, membership. And I don't know why they wouldn't just use patreon like just look the, the one creator that i saw was that was going heavy with it was h3 the h3 podcast they've got three tiers on there um it's very much you know there's the loyalty badges for, for the for the just our lowest tier the badges the emojis that you can use in comments and live chat it says as well early access to all their episodes no ads there's the discord and a bonus um a bonus um episode of their podcast a bonus live stream i should say um I feel that that's like that, that you know that's a pretty good tier, etc. And but one thing I'm thinking is, is it better to do it on the YouTube platform or is it better to do it on something that's external? I've always been sort of like, you know, because all you know, eventually all the social medias are going to go in and out, blah blah blah. Um, and you know, you know, Vine died, and then all the all of them had to sort of like build their, all of those creators had to build their audience up from scratch. Same thing with TikTok was going was going to happen. They'd have to build their audience pretty much back up from from scratch, unless they've sort of transferred it to another social media beforehand. Do you think it's even smart to have YouTube a YouTube membership set up, or would it be better to just you know have it on Patreon? And because I know on Patreon as well, you can export all of your um, all of your patrons, and you can put it into say like you know if patron dies, blah blah blah, go to another service that you can just import them all in, you've got all your people there, all their credit card info, all that sort of shit, and you can just, like, you know, it keeps going. It's a membership service in that sense. I don't think YouTube would have it set up like that at all. I think, personally, uh, it's better to not have your all your eggs in one basket because Absolutely. I remember in 2019, one day I woke up and there was no email or anything, but my entire channel just was demonetized, like, Mon like I could didn't have the option to turn on monetization. It was just like disabled for me, and I couldn't figure out why. YouTube wouldn't tell me anything. I had like a tweet that like I had a tw I tweeted at them and it got a lot of traction. It didn't lead to anything at all. I never got any information. The only thing I found was there was some YouTube video where some guy said the same thing happened to him, and he pinned it down to YouTube misinterpreting. Uh, one of his videos as a duplicate and so they just they thought it was duplicate content so I and I had uh, uploaded uh, Summit 1G reacting to my video onto my channel so I deleted that and thankfully got my monetization back but it really made me realize that like oh if this was like my career and if I wasn't just a hobby YouTuber then I would be totally fucked because all my eggs were in the YouTube basket and I need to like spread out. I need to build a community on like every platform or something. And that's it. That's exactly it. Like while YouTube might be the best, they might have the best video player. Fuck yes, they do. Um, 
They might, they have the best, obviously, if, you, if you're not putting your videos on YouTube, there's no other place that you can really build an audience to that scale. Very, very much so. Um, but it's, that's the thing. You can't have all your eggs in one basket. From the beginning, and I think it was just because I started, you know, the ideas for Onwe started like before 2015. But it was sort of, that was the time where people were transitioning out of just making money off YouTube revenue and then into brand deals, sponsorships, merchandise, external things to YouTube because of that exact reason. It was, it's not a stable platform at all. And so my mindset's from the beginning has been, I don't care if I never make any money off YouTube itself. Obviously, I'm going to put myself in a position where it's like, you know, I'm not going to say cunt all the time in a video and get myself to monetize and all that sort of stuff. I'll put myself in the best um, the best position I can, but I'm not going to, you know, sacrifice my creative integrity and all that sort of stuff just to cater to this YouTube algorithm. And then in saying that, we had a conversation before, how I, before we even recorded, how it was like for the longest time it was about optimization of YouTube tags, thumbnails, et cetera, et cetera. I, it's like YouTube has come, become so big that anybody who wants to make content, you've got to try and... It's, it's adapt or perish. And that's what it is. And I, you know, that's the game, I guess. That's the game that we've all got to play and we've all got to just figure out. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think that the people who are like truly the most successful... Like, you would think that, oh, like, the most successful YouTubers surely would have at least a million subscribers or something like that. But then I look at, like, Justin Wang, and I think that he is way more successful than probably many YouTubers who have over a million subscribers because he's got a solid following on YouTube with, a like, he's built his brand there. He's built his brand on Twitter. He's building his brand on Twitch. He's built his brand on Instagram. He's all over the place and he's found success in all those different markets because realistically, I don't know how if people realize it or not, but for the most part, you're, these are different audiences. The Twitter audience isn't actually this like you might see a YouTuber has a huge following on, on Twitter, but a lot of that Twitter audience, at least the active ones, are actually there for the tweets and not for the videos and they may not even care about the videos. They may not even care about the live streams. So I, I think it's success is re as an influencer or uh, whatever you want to call it, a content creator. It really means being successful everywhere. Being successful in just one spot isn't enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, well, that's one thing that's played on my mind so fucking much. It's like, you know, I stopped promoting, actually, that's that's one thing I was just thinking this morning. This morning, I was like, you know, promoted that we're recording this live on my Twitter. Um, and I put it in the Discord as well. And I was about to post on Instagram. And I'm thinking, who actually follows me on Instagram? Who actually follows me? And a lot of it's people just, you know, that I know in real life. You know, some people that I know are sort of fans of my content stuff, blah, blah, blah. But majority, majority aren't going to give a shit that I'm live streaming. Even with this, you know... This, this this YouTuber, this guy who makes great videos, but a lot of them just don't give a shit. It's a different audience. You know, I I, I don't know. I think it's, it's very, very interesting how every single platform, every platform has its own specific audience and it doesn't really, it does cross over, but not extremely. Like for the longest time, it was like, oh, I need to post quotes on Instagram and I need to post videos on Twitter. And all that sort of bullshit. But it's like, even that's overthinking it. I don't even have the head to fucking figure out, oh, what goes, where, what should go on what, what should go where. I think like, as you said, as like, you know, going back to the whole, um, you know, just esports and that stuff as well. It's like, you, and even like with Twitch, you've got to focus on the one thing, you know, the one team, the one niche, the one something and grow from there. That's the only way to really do it. Like, it's like, there's no point of me chucking all my egg, like one egg into all these baskets and then I'm, you know, running around like a, like a headless chicken and then I just burn out because I'm trying to keep all these things up. You've got to focus on one thing first, I think, and build one platform. Like, even if it's just YouTube, even if it's just like YouTube and you have all these ones, other ones on the side that are just sitting there ready to go, focusing on building that YouTube um that YouTube audience. That's one thing that I've been told. It's like, just focus on like, stop focusing on building your, your Twitter following or how many people on your Patreon or all that sort of stuff. 
just focus on getting listeners and getting views in your videos in the beginning. And I guess that's I, that's it, really. I think that uh, like there are ways to combine the two. Like I think I I don't really know exactly what he's doing right, but I think that Turkey Tom has done a pretty good job of like yes. mixing his audiences on Twitter and YouTube. And then of course you have someone like Bo Blacks, who's because his content is about Twitter, the two audiences are probably very similar. And so he is at, by tweeting a lot is probably very good for his YouTube channel, realistically. I mean, I'm assuming, I don't know for sure. But then you have someone, and this is like, um, I've only discovered Nick Diorio this year because I was never really watching too much like, drama channel stuff. And when I saw him on Twitter, I was like, oh, this guy must be like huge in the commentary community. And then I looked at his channel and I was like surprised when I saw that his success was very modest as a YouTuber. And that was for me like the point where I realized that like Twitter success does not equal YouTube success. And then YouTube success doesn't equal Twitter success on that exact same token. There's so many creators that I've seen that have had hundreds and thousands of subscribers. Some I've seen that are at a million. And they've barely cracked like 5,000 followers on Twitter. And you wonder, what are they doing wrong? You know, you can you can easily go, oh, I've got my Twitter in my description and all that sort of stuff. Like, not mention the video. Maybe mentioning the video, obviously, you know, that call to action, all that sort of mumbo-jumbo makes a difference. But it's, it's just so interesting to see you can't, it's not as easy as just make content even good content and that's just going to make you a success on all these different platforms and you're going to be bigger than the platform like there's only so many creators that have gotten so big that anything they make they as you know first of all they can make anything they want and people will like it and they can be on any any platform do you know what i mean like for example um you know i don't think idubs would have necessarily thought he would have a decent instagram following but, you know, people would just, like, you know, search iDubs and, like, oh, here's his official Instagram account. And that'd come up and people's recommended and all that sort of, that all that sort of mumbo-jumbo. You know, once you get to a point, especially because, you know, once you get to a point, the algorithm helps you as well. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you follow H3, I recommend you iDubs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that actually, that actually links to something else I, was, I, was, I wanted to discuss. It's the whole idea of collaboration. Glink and I talked about it on a recent podcast as well, and it's... For the longest time for me, it was just making content with friends. And I think this, and as I said before, we recorded this podcast. I did guess for a little bit. It wasn't sticking right away. So then I just, you know, sort of dipped out of it. And I think like, because I'm, you know, I'm in fucking Australia and I'm overseas in the type of content I make, podcasting is the only way of collaboration for me. And I think like that's the only way I can really do it in that sort of sense. You know, a commentary channel can just have somebody host something and all that sort of stuff. Um, and in a video essay, you know, you could ha obviously you could have somebody go, oh, and here's this person to, to discuss this little fact, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, that's been, it's been done to death. All these people are doing it and it works. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it works because that's, it just, it just does. Um, I think collaboration is such and such an important thing. Did you, did you collaborate very often, like in the beginning? Like what was your first big like quote-unquote collaboration i have almost i barely collabed with anyone at all actually uh glink was the first person i ever collabed with and that was in about a year and a half after i started my youtube channel and at that point i was already at about like thirty thousand subscribers i want to say um and it was a really small thing i just did like a segment in one of his videos about like it was about stadium mode in smash it was like a silly video uh i think collaboration is huge for uh getting impressions essentially getting people to to get yourself out there it's it's a great exposure oh, and then so. if you it's, are it's, it's free advertising if your role in the collab is uh yeah exactly and if you if you do something in like when that that spotlight is shining on you if you do something that really stands out, then I think that that's a great way to actually build off of it. But yeah, no, there's a tr there's also like it's like a double edged sword, right? Because if you collab with someone or if you're collabing all the time, you can potentially run into the problem of 
people just care about the person you're collabing with. If you're, if you're, what you're bringing to the table isn't enough, I guess. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's very, it's a hard, it's a hard game. Like, it's not as easy as just, hey, let's cover on a video, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, and that sort of, that whole, like, you know, the collaboration networking stuff, like, sometimes I wouldn't say it's necessarily, well, it is, it's, it's very mild anxiety. It's like, I'm laying in bed trying to sleep and it's like, I need to be in this group chat. I need to be talking to these people that, are bigger than me and have more influence than me and then maybe you know just you know just sending one message in this group chat someone laughs and it's like you know just fucking bullshit it doesn't mean anything it's nothing um i think keeping up with social media like that's a whole different conversation as well it's like keeping up with social media and networking and all that sort of stuff my dream is definitely to you know i might be in a few group chats and like you know read through and respond sometimes but to never even use social media at all and have an audience that, oh fuck yes! Like, and I've actually I remember in the group chat um, that, that we're in together actually on Twitter I believe. Um, one thing that was said was, I remember somebody said that you know if we weren't creators we wouldn't be on Twitter at all. It's a necessity to have like a social media account like that's because that's it facilitates yeah. growth. It facilitates growth absolutely. I 100% like would not be on Twitter if it wasn't if I wasn't doing YouTube. I think that like for the longest time my experience with Twitter was just so negative because it was just constantly running into people with like extreme awful opinions. It's only more in like the last year that I made this conscious decision to just start following a fuck ton of meme accounts and treat Twitter as like a place to amuse myself. And then also as I've grown on twitter and see because twitter is such a volatile place for opinions i sometimes try to use it as uh like i want to like put out common sense or at least what i think is common sense out there just so it could exist in the ether with all that crap so that like if people are going to be reading let's say like someone's really impressionable and they're just everything on their feed is like affecting them in some way then it'd be nice if you know the more calm less extreme takes were were there too for them to ingest i guess i don't know no i know exactly what you mean absolutely and before we slowly start wrapping up i've got to let's let's go let's get a bit deeper um i like asking questions that are sort of like you know every single youtuber podcast with with a youtuber it's like oh how did you make why did you make your content um what inspires you um all that sort of shit fuck that we're going we're going on we're going a different way um i got a few like you feel few little questions um that have sort of it looks more into you and sort of like your um your outlook your mindset all that sort of stuff and like one thing that i like to ask people is like what's something that what's something that you spent money on you know like hardly anything but like something small like, you know, like say less than like 50 bucks, less than a hundred bucks, but that you think has had a significant impact on your life as a whole. In just in general? In general. Yes, in general. And when you say spent $50, do you mean like, because can I say weed? <laughs> sure. Look, let's go with that. Because that's, that's, that's very, that's, that's interesting. Let's go with that. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, here in Canada, marijuana is totally legal and the government ships it to my house for free and I can absolutely vouch that it has impacted my life in a very positive way and that I'm going to smoke a joint after this podcast. <laughs> Do you okay, let's let, let's go back on that. Why did you decide to smoke weed? What was the sort of um what was it was it a thing that you started when you were younger? Was it a peer pressure thing? And then you started, just started to like it over time? Or was it something that, for me, I know I've never smoked weed, not in my life. And I never, and I never thought I ever would. But recently I've sort of thought, my mind goes a million miles an hour. And I've even said, someone said to me, fucking smoke a joint. You, you, you need to slow your mind down. Like what, what was the reason that you started smoking it? Okay, so when I was young, like really young, I don't even know why, but I just had this fascination with the idea of hallucinating, I guess. I think I like saw a hallucination in a cartoon and it was very like, you know, 
psychedelic and pretty colors and stuff like that. And I guess childhood slush was just like, hell yeah, that please. And then when I was, how old was I? 16? When I was 16, uh, my friends and I, who were pretty straight edge, decided to to start smoking weed, which was like a very common and like popular thing in my area. We weren't doing it because of peer pressure, but it was more of like it's just we all shared a curiosity for it and we enjoyed it. And today I would say, like I, st- I definitely still enjoy getting high, but the way I treat smoking weed is more like after I've been productive for like a long day, at the end of the day, I like to smoke weed and just fuck off and do whatever. And it kind of like makes unwinding easier. It puts me in a nice mood and everything's more enjoyable. I don't need it to enjoy things or be in a nice mood or relax, but it's like, why not? Because, you know, I, I just spent the last eight hours working on videos and working on other stuff. And now I, I just deserve this sort of, so to speak. Interesting, very interesting, because it's like, I'm the same sort of thing, like, I find it hard to, very much so, to wind down, like, I'm very much a, the personality who will just work hard, work hard, work hard, and then, you know, at the end of the day, I'll rest, like, for me, like, one thing I've been doing late at night, not, not late at night, one thing I've been doing is just, like, you know, after a long day of doing stuff, whatever I've been doing, laying down and playing the latest WWE 2K20 game, and it was, you know, and it, but then, then when I'm playing that, I'm in my head like, okay, how am I going to, how's my roster going to look? Who's going to win this match? Who's going to do this? And I barely spend any fucking time playing. And it's like, my, I've, I've never done anything that sort of like calmed my mind down. That's ever sort of like slowed my mind down. It's always running a million miles an hour. Probably multiple coffees a day doesn't help. That would probably make a difference. But Caffeine like, is a drug in itself. Well, it is. And that's actually one thing um, that links to some, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently. It's like, what can I do to become a, a higher caliber performer? And th- it might sound dumb, but it's like, you know, I know I can... Like, I just recently went from full-time down to part-time because the job... Obviously, I hate the fucking job I'm doing. And everybody who I work with knows that. But it sort of got to the point where it was like... You know, I need to focus on my own stuff and the stuff I want to do. But even though I only worked four days last week, I feel just as tired. And I don't know if it's my diet. I don't know if it's my food. I don't know if it's just like, I need to fucking have a puff of a joint just to calm my mind down and just, you know, I used to do a lot of meditation. It was a morning ritual. Things have changed. I probably should get back into that. I don't know what it is. But that's the thing. Yeah, I was going to say like meditation was one of the first things that came to my mind when you were saying that. I don't think that the answer is weed for you in fact i would say that for anyone that has the like unless you're you've been prescribed weed medically or you're intending to use it for medical purposes i would only recommend people get into weed if they're choosing to do it when and in the context that they don't need it it's very much a choice and they're recognizing it's a choice and never thinking of it as an essential thing but when you were saying like maybe it's your diet, maybe it's maybe it's like a little bit of all of it, right? Maybe you need to work on your sleeping habits. Maybe you need to eat a little bit better. Maybe you need to exercise a little bit more regularly. I think all these things really add up at the end of the day. I didn't think that it would turn this way. I didn't think it would turn into a self-reflection of myself. But you know what? That's what I love about this podcast. We talk about <laughs> anything and it just leads anywhere. And we have interesting conversations that probably only four people are going to listen to because no one listens to this podcast. Never do. Um but that's, that's why I've got guests like you on. One day. Because one day. That's why I've got guests like <laughs> you on. So, you know, maybe some, like, they'll say, oh, Slush is on a podcast. It's pretty good. And they're like, you know what? I don't like Slush anymore. I like the On We Talk podcast. I'm going to listen exclusively to that. <laughs> Fuck the Gosh podcast. Yeah, I'm going to get you an extra four viewers, okay? So. Hooray. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I do have a last question before we sort of sum up. Um, with your with your YouTube channel and I guess you know your online content et cetera et cetera, do you have like where where do you see that 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 career going? Like, what's your what do you see your, yourself doing um, in sort of five years? Well, I don't think that content creation is ever going to be stable enough. Well, maybe maybe it will be. Who knows? But at the moment, I don't think it makes sense for me to look at content creation as something that's stable enough to me for me to make a career out of. So, like my in terms of my actual career and how I plan to make my the large amount of my income 
on an annual basis is good. It's a completely external from YouTube and it's just like a much more normal route. But in terms of content creation, I think that, I mean, my, my goal and hope is that I'm able to continue growing as a channel on YouTube and as a content creator on other platforms as well. And that I can, you know, just build up an audience and a community that what, so that I can make videos and make things that I'm interested in making and have like a bunch of people to share that with and not have to worry about, oh, is this video going to be a complete flop because I always have to base all my results on the algorithm and I don't have anyone else type of thing. So my, my hope is that like I built up a community enough so that like I can get a substantial amount of views to on my videos to the people who are interested in it and not have to rely on the algorithm, I guess. I guess that's the dream. It's just make stuff that people enjoy and it gets into their feed. It gets into their subscription feed. It becomes recommended to them. And like for me, it's like this, my specific agenda, I guess, overall is just to influence people. It's just to, you know, make things that, and that's probably what all YouTubers um, sort of aspiration is, make stuff that people like and that sort of makes them forget about their own real lives. Um, it's sort of, it's, 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 it just, I guess that's what entertainment is in general, but I think that's what I want to do. I want to make stuff that makes people think, that makes people reflect, that makes people, I don't know, laugh, cry, all that sort of stuff, feel things, I guess. But I think that's... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I can relate to what you're saying here a lot, for sure. No, no, I think that's, that's a good way to end up. I think it's, you know, um, I, I, I love talking about, um... The way you make people feel, I think that's like one thing I was told the other day at work. I had a performance review actually, and they said, I don't think you realize how much influence you have on people. Like, you know, I if I come into work and I'm in a shit mood, it really affects other people. And I don't, sometimes I don't, I think in general, people don't think about that. They don't think about how their own emotions really affect other people and um, if everybody else's performance and everybody else's um, emotions. Um, you know, I can say all I want that I want to make people happy and, um, you know, provide a good working environment just in general and provide a, a place. I want when people around me, they feel good about themselves, but you know, I don't know. It's a very, it's a very introspective thing. It's a, it's a very interesting conversation talking about, um, I think a lot of people are very, um, they only like talking about themselves and like how they, how they're feeling themselves and not how, it makes everybody else feel, just in general, in a, in a real life setting at least. Yeah, I would agree. I I definitely have noticed that uh, most people I talk to are well. Actually, on Discord it's different. Maybe that says something about the people who use Discord. But I do find that like, and this is even true of like if you go on a date with someone, it feels like a lot of people just don't know how to speak unless they're speaking about themselves. They're not, like, thinking about their surroundings. Also, I just want to say I really like that what you're saying about the coming into work and the way you feel influences other people because it there's, like, a truth to that in the sense that, like, everyone is kind of an influencer in their own way, even if it's not on a mass scale. Oh, it's true. And I think that's, like, you know, everybody has purpose. Everybody has... There's always somebody who's looking up to you, even if you don't think about it. You know, it's your, it's your kid. It's the, you know, it's the it's some guy, random kid you work with. It's your own child. It's your family. It's your brother. It's your sister. There's always people who are looking at you, even when you don't think about it. And they're looking at you and going like, oh, what are they thinking? What would they do? What would, what is, it's, it, and that's what influence is. It's. And that's what I want to do, just like in general. Like, you know, I want to make good content and all that sort of stuff. But I think the overall goal is influence people in a good way. You know, social media has, you know, we can go we can go on all day about social media and how that's fucked up so many people's lives of, oh, I've got to get so many likes and all that sort of stuff. And that's stuff that I'm still dealing with. You know, I want, you know, getting over the fact that I want subscribers and all that sort of stuff because it means nothing in the end. What's a subscriber? subscribers a number but like the influence that you can have from those subscribers is a whole different thing it's a whole different situation absolutely yeah and uh you know the different platforms lend themselves to a different degree of influence as well i've talked about this a little bit before in one of my videos but i think that 
uh, a Twitch streamer who's popular has significantly more influence than a YouTuber who's popular because of just the nature of how it's more community-based and how it's... You're, when you're watching a live stream, you're just watching... You're spe essentially spending time with a person for, like, hours and hours on end, and it's unfiltered, so, sort of. And I think all these things attribute to, like, a greater sense of influence in that medium versus something like a YouTube video. Absolutely. That's And that I think that's a good... That's a good thing to end on, absolutely. I just want to thank you, Slush. I want to thank you for coming on this little tiny podcast and, you know, bringing you just, you know... Because um, you, you never really get to talk about yourself, do you, really? Like, you know, obviously in the Gush podcast, you're much more talking about, you know, internet things, all that sort of drama. You've Have you really had a platform to talk about... Like, obviously, you have your videos to talk about um, some things, but in general, have you ever had a platform to sort of talk about the things that we've talked about here? Um, not too much, honestly, no. I mean, I don't really talk too much about myself in my videos, and even on Twitter, I'm not really talking about things like this. I've, there was one time, maybe like a year ago, that I was on a podcast that was also like a small YouTuber. I can't, I think his name was like Shampee or something. Um, yeah, I mean, he, I guess that was an opportunity, but other than that, not really. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad what we sort of got to go in depth and, you know, talk well, about a lot of the things. I'm glad you uh, had me on. Oh, I'm, I, one thing, I'm really glad we sort of discussed that, that esports stuff. So, so, a lot of that esports stuff really very interesting to me. And um, it's, it's I like that I've been able to sort of, um, you know, increase my knowledge about it. So I, I appreciate you coming on and educating me in that as well, for sure. On We Talk is hosted by Matthew Winner, produced by On We. You can listen to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or watch it in its entirety at youtube.com slash TV one You can show your support by becoming an On We Plus member, where you get exclusive series and podcasts, early access, and member-only perks. Join us at onwe.tv forward slash plus. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.